Well, hello, and welcome to the Chess Journal Podcast, where each month we host a discussion with the authors of important articles from the current issue of the journal, adding context and commentary to the challenges facing clinicians in the fields of pulmonary, critical care, and sleep medicine. To introduce today's topic, here's your host, Dr. Gretchen Winter. On behalf of Chess, I would like to welcome you to the Chest Journal Podcast. I am Dr. Gretchen Winter, and I am your Chest Podcast Moderator. Thank you for joining us uh, today for what will be an interesting discussion on sepsis mortality and right ventricular dysfunction. We are fortunate to have Dr. Sadas Chandra Vallabha Josila as our guest, who is the first author on the paper in the June 2021 Chest Journal, Impact of Right Ventricular Dysfunction on Short and Long-Term Mortality and Sepsis, a meta-analysis of 1,373 patients. Dr. Vallabha Josila is an Interventional Cardiology Fellow at Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia, and is an assistant professor of medicine at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. He works as a clinician and an outcomes researcher in the fields of cardiogenic shock, acute myocardial infarction, cardiac arrest, high-risk percutaneous coronary intervention, percutaneous mechanical circulatory support, non-cardiac organ failure, septic shock, septic cardiomyopathy, and circulatory shock. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Dr. Winter. Thank you to you and the team at CHEST for having me for today's conversation. Of course. We're excited. So to start with, why did you decide to research this topic? What prompted you to look at right ventricular dysfunction and sepsis? Thank you. Uh, That's a very uh, important and interesting question. Uh, As uh, you alluded to, I'm dual trained in cardiology and critical care. So the intersection of these two in acute care uh, and critical illness is, has been my research interest for many years now. Um, sepsis is obviously one of the most uh, predominant etiologies of admissions to the medical and non-medical ICU. And so its interaction on the heart was uh, a topic of great interest. Specifically, septic cardiomyopathy has been described in patients with LV dysfunction who have global systolic dysfunction, and, and there's a lot of literature in diastolic dysfunction. But curiously, there's very limited data on right ventricular dysfunction. The RV, as many of us know, is called the people's ventricle or the forgotten ventricle. And so I thought it'd be very interesting to study this. As a precursor to the study that we have today, I had previously performed a detailed patient-level data analysis on 388 patients with right ventricular dysfunction when I was a trainee at the Mayo Clinic. So this was a step uh, that kind of, inco- kind of incorporated our data and data from other groups across the world into a meta-analysis to see if there was a more profound signal with uh, greater patient populations. Perfect. So can you please explain to our listeners the study design for this meta-analysis? Absolutely. Uh, the, as uh, Just to some, I'm sure many of your uh, re- readers and listeners are familiar with the idea of a meta-analysis, but I just, I'll just quickly... Um, mentioned that it's a summative analysis of all the existing literature on this topic, uh, that this is not an original study, but rather a compilation of existing original studies in the literature on the date of the search strategy. So what we did is we researched all existing medical databases like PubMed, Medline, uh, EMBase, Cochrane, etc. And we had a predetermined protocol where we uh, tried to divide studies into a two-by-two table wherein 
if you could divide a patient, patient population into RV dysfunction and no RV dysfunction, plot it against mortality and uh, no mortality. So if we could come up with all four variables, either directly or de- derivatively from the existing data, those studies were included. So we included only human adult studies looking at sepsis, septic shock, as defined by either the sepsis 1, 2, or 3 criteria. And so what we did was included patients from early 2000, uh, late ni- or Jan 99, which is um, the last 15 to 18 years, most of which had different definitions of sepsis. Um, some had sepsis 2, some had sepsis 3, and we included all of these. We had a study group of three or four individuals who would, in duplicate, refine the search strategy at every step. So we'd first read the titles, then read the abstracts, then read the full text, and come up and wet down our study details all the way from 267 studies that we got in the beginning, which isn't a whole lot on this very important topic, to about 10 studies that finally met our full inclusion and exclusion criteria. So how in your study was right ventricular dysfunction evaluated and quantified? Thank you. That's that's probably the most important question or the most important take-home point from our conversation today is just how variable the definition of RV dysfunction is. Um, as you know, as do many of our listeners, RV is a very nebulous uh, entity to measure. It's often wrapped around the LV. It's not an easy shape. It's kind of like a crescent around the LV. It's often overshadowed by lung artifact or um, fluid situations. And so, therefore, it's very difficult to quantify. Historically, the RV has been measured by pulmonary artery catheter-derived variables, but that's fallen out of favor after the escape trial. So, most of our um, mid-career junior faculty and even trainees or in the contemporary era in the ICU don't use uh, a PA catheter as often. In our study, we included all variants of RV measurements. What we had was we had people measuring it by CT scan where they measured end diastolic diameters across the RV and the LV, and they said if the RV was more than 0.9 the LV, then it was visibly enlarged. People used uh, PA catheter derived variables where they measured RA pressures greater than 12 or PA pressures greater than 30, VEG less than 18, implying that this is predominantly a right-sided problem, or a pulmonary vascular resistance greater than 250. So this is a combination of both pulmonary vascular assessment and the right ventricular assessment. Um, our study, which we had done, the single-center Mayo-Connick study that we had done, used a multi-modality parameter of right ventricular dysfunction which included all possible variables following the American Society of ECHO criteria, basically. And what that basically involved was uh, semi-quantitative size and function, where you classify RV size as mild, moderate, severely enlarged, or RV function as mild, moderately, severely impaired. TAPC, which is tricuspid annular uh, peak systolic velocity, excursion ratio of less than 16 millimeters, or RV S prime, or RV fractional area change of less than 35%. This is the American Society of Echo criteria. The other echo studies that were included in our paper had varying uh, inclusion of these ASC criteria. So in a sense, echo, CT scan, and PA catheter were the three various modalities of measuring RV dysfunction. And as you may imagine, it's very variable and there's absolute lack of standardization or there's significant heterogeneity in this definition. So... In your study, you reported that right ventricular dysfunction was noted in almost 35% of the patients with sepsis and septic shock. 
So what do we know regarding overall levels of right ventricular dysfunction in the general population or just those hospitalized for reasons other than sepsis? That's a great question. In all honesty, we don't know a whole lot and we don't know how much of this is acute. So the problem with the right ventricle is it's a very, very forgiving ventricle. It, it dilates and accommodates and dilates and accommodates and makes up for all the sins everywhere else in the body until it suddenly cannot. So that's the problem with the RV. And so a lot of times when we echo, perform an echocardiogram on patients who get admitted either to the ICU or to the general medical floor, they have latent RV dysfunction that we uncover in the ICU. And so it's tough to attribute that RV dysfunction to the existing pathophysiological process that they are suffering from. But estimates um, are widely variable. So we had an editorial in Heart um, in BMJ a few, uh, maybe a year ago or so, where we looked at, where we wrote an editorial in RV dysfunction and sepsis. And then the studies that we looked at, my colleague and I over that period of time, it showed a variety of a range of dysfunction from anywhere from 20% to 80%. Our single center Mayo Clinic study that we had done earlier showed about 50% RV dysfunction. This study, which is a compilation of 10 studies, again, defined by variable criteria, we arrived at 35%. In the non-septic population, uh, I'm recently a part of a paper that's looking at RV dysfunction in ARDS. And again, that was a meta-analysis. And we've, uh, we've seen about 21% dysfunction. And this has changed over time, in all honesty, because RV dysfunction was much worse back in the day when we didn't understand the basics of lung protective ventilation, where we had uh, really high PEEP settings, where we were not optimizing our fluid status and unnecessarily loading the RV, where we were late to uh, jump to diuretics, where we were uh, using far more vasoactive medication support because the RV was failing from a fluid issue rather than just being a hemodynamically compromised or a distributive shock situation. So there are all these variables that have influenced RV dysfunction over time. So really, in the contemporary era, I would peg it at about 20-something percent, maybe 30 percent in ARDS, maybe 30, 30 to 40 percent in sepsis. And the mechanisms we can go into in subsequently in this talk, but it's really important that we recognize and treat this aggressively. So what outcomes did you study and what were the results? So we primarily looked at mortality and mortality was uh, empirically divided into short term and long term. And we essentially said short term was anything that included ICU mortality, hospital stay, or mortality during the hospital stay, and mortality within 30 days. And I fully recognize that 30 days is no different from 60 days or 90 days. So we had to pick an endpoint and we picked 30 as our cutoff for short-term mortality. And then we said long-term mortality, anything between uh, 30 days up to a year. And so these 10 studies were had to have information on short-term mortality for sure. But if they, only a few of them had the long-term mortality um, data. So our outcomes, essentially, we put all this data together in a meta-analysis format. Some of them had odd ratios or hazard ratios, and we extrapolated backwards to um, derive the uh, proportions of mortality in each group. But in the short-term mortality, which again is less than 30 days, either hospital stay or ICU stay, RV dysfunction was associated with nearly a two-and-a-half-fold increase in mortality. Our odds ratio was 2.42 
with a confidence interval of 1.52 to 3.85. And long-term mortality, which is only reported in four studies out of these 10, RV dysfunction was similarly associated with a 2.26 odds ratio uh, with a uh, confidence interval of 1.29 to 3.95. This is fascinating and this is a very important information that independent of all other predictors uh, that we have in sepsis and septic shock, RV dysfunction portends a much higher risk of mortality. Now, this is an association, not causation. It's very important to uh, emphasize that. So not, this is a meta-analysis of predominantly observational studies. So what are possible reasons to explain the increased mortality associated with right ventricular dysfunction? It's a great question. Again, we are in the realm of conjuncture here. We don't have uh, mechanistic studies that tell us this. But a few of the signals that we found, both in our study and in existing literature, was A, RV dysfunction is inadequately treated. It's very tough to optimize hemodynamics, mechanical ventilatory settings, um, systemic hemodynamics, and pulmonary hemodynamics, all of which behave differently. As, as we alluded to earlier in uh, the conversation, it's important that we understand the titration of vasopressors or ninotropes, fluids, mechanical ventilator, and how these interact. And oftentimes it's the RV that's bearing the brunt from these acute changes. So which essentially needs us as clinicians to collaborate closely across disciplines, across, um, uh, across the traditional silos that exist. So that a treating a person treating patient RV dysfunction has good input from heart failure, from general cardiology, from um, invasive cardiology if needed, from critical care medicine. So the combination of all these so that we optimize these iatrogenic factors that may be causing RV dysfunction and therefore may contribute to mortality either directly by virtue of, say, being fluid overloaded or having severe ARDS and just being on high mechanical ventilatory settings that are not compatible or directly by causing RV dysfunction. And now RV dysfunction itself in prior studies has shown to be associated strongly with LD diastolic dysfunction, which is, again, known prognostically to be much more superior to even LV systolic dysfunction in sepsis. And the, the hypothesis there is that these patients have poor fluid tolerance, have inadequate or inadequate fluid loading either too much or too little, and their ventricles just cannot deal with the fluid overload that comes with it. And lastly, what we found very interesting was there was greater rates of hemodialysis and acute kidney injury in RV dysfunction. We know from the septic shock literature that acute kidney injury is a very uh, important prognostic factor in septic shock. So now what we hypothesize is that were these patients developing a variant of cardiorenal syndrome, either type 5 where they have concomitant renal and uh, cardiac dysfunction or the more classical type 1, which is uh, passive congestion leading to acute kidney injury. It's really fascinating that they have elevated venous filling pressures, elevated right-sided pressures that causes backflow in addition to the uh, forward flow and the direct uh, issues that from the septic uh, insult on both the kidneys and the heart. So these are some of the mechanistic thought processes behind RV dysfunction and its implications on mortality, again, in the realm of conjuncture because we don't have uh, data on the exact a chain of events. And can you please explain for our listeners the limitations of your study? Absolutely. I, I alluded to this briefly earlier, but this is a meta-analysis. It's not original data. It is a compilation of existing studies in the literature. 
the bulk of which were observational studies and observational studies come with their own series of um biases and uh, sometimes cannot control for confounding no matter how well you try um so a meta analysis of observational studies amplifies that risk even more so it's important to understand that um the variability the wide variability in rv dysfunction is a very important point um so we don't know which of these parameters is actually prognostically relevant or is meaningful to call rv dysfunction which are the parameters that we observe just passive parameters but we don't need to use them in our practice so unless we can quantify rv dysfunction better define it better define it appropriately meaningfully and then use that definition going forward uh we will continue to grapple with this situation uh few other important limitations are the timing of rv dysfunction measurement was not standardized which is a problem because a lot of hemodynamic fluctuations and sepsis happen in the first 24 to 48 hours there is very limited data on repeated measurements so serial echocardiography or serial pa catheter measurement there is very limited data on that and again like i said lastly it's possible that we uncovered latent rv dysfunction in some of these studies because by virtue of them being second being in a hospital they got an echocardiogram and now you see rv dysfunction whereas they may, might have had copd or obesity hypoventilation syndrome or something else that may have contributed to an rv being enlarged and dilated even before they came into the hospital so what do you think are the next steps for this research um again kind of feeds um, into our prior conversation but to brief i'm not going to belabor the point but i think the most important next avenues are developing a replicable efficient and meaningful definition of rv dysfunction and each of these are important it needs to be something that any treating intensivist any treating cardiac intensivist in the community should be able to measure reliably simply and it is actually meaningful and actually makes a difference either to their care in terms of changes in therapies or prognostically has some um implication so that they can use that in decision making either in clinical care or in their conversations with families and uh, visitors so it's really important that we define our the rv issues better the second thing is the mechanistic implications of rv dysfunction and outcomes are not fully understood i i put up a few uh, hypotheses but i would really i really look forward to uh, basic translational studies understanding this rv dysfunction better and lastly I don't know if we fully understand what we should do with RV dysfunction if we see it. Is it an innocent bystander? Is it a contributor? How do we modify it? In other words, how do our therapies change the trajectory for this patient in front of us? We know what the trajectory might be by our research, but then then the next question is how do we change it as a clinician's caring for that patient? And I think those are the next important uh, endeavors in this field. So as we finish up our discussion, Can you please give our listeners a closing thought on what you want them to take away from this discussion? Um I think the most important point is the RV is an important part of the body part of the heart. Unfortunately, we don't think of it, talk about it, read and write about it as much as we should. So there's definitely some work to be done there. Um and I guess in maybe taking a broader perspective of the field at large as a cardiac intensivist i think i really would encourage our young listeners who are in training or considering pathways is to consider the unique opportunity to blend cardiology and critical care um 
as a career pathway because it gives us unique insights into problems like these that may be um, straddling the two worlds. Thank you so much to Dr. Balaba Josila for a wonderful conversation on an important topic and a big thank you to our chess community for joining us. I'm Gretchen Winter and this is a chess podcast. Until next time.